Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. District of Conservation is sponsored by Real Camo Girl, a lifestyle brand for women who love the great outdoors, Spanning from hunting, fishing, foraging, archery, shooting sports, and the like. We are proud to have them as a sponsor, and you can learn more about them at www.realcamelgirl.com and follow them all across social media to learn more and get involved. Welcome to episode 24 of District of Conservation, everyone. You are in for a treat today because I sit down with my dad, Boris Hoffman, a general contractor and avid angler to discuss some of the latest in environmental and conservation news, but also his thoughts on a socialist society versus a more market-based society and and why the latter is better for conservation efforts. And he has a lot to say. He has a very deep opinion and is very well-versed on issues. And you're going to hear my dad firsthand if you haven't heard from him before. I think he's a unique fellow. I may be biased. But he knows so much and can help people get interested in certain topics and and think a little differently. So here is the interview with my old man. Take it away. By popular demand, I have a very special guest joining me today on this new episode of District of Conservation. It is none other than my dad, Boris Hoffman, who hooked me into the great outdoors himself, particularly fishing. Many have asked me to have him talk about politics, the outdoors, so now he's going to do mostly outdoor discussions. We're going to try to keep this as politically free as possible, although both of us like to (laughs) talk politics, but Dad, I appreciate you coming on to the podcast to talk about how you became an outdoorsman. Hi, Boris, you're welcome. That's it? Even living under the evil empire?
that's how you start understanding what's going on actually and, and going starting with uh, elementary school and going to the whole educational system you get to a point of of understanding what's going on plus the neighbors people who suffer And Lithuania, you've always told me, and, and we've seen it firsthand about 20 years ago, actually is perfect and uh, situated for people who like the outdoors. Mushroom hunting, there's good hunting, good fishing. Lithuania itself is really good for people who like that's It's just natural. Yes, it's a beautiful little piece of uh, earth which has a lot of rivers, creeks, and lakes. A lot of lakes are connected to each other. And there's a Baltic Sea shore and harbor, and so people can go and they can fish in the, in the Baltic Sea, they can fish in the harbor, they can fish in creeks, and it's a variety of fish, trout, and pikes, and, and perches, and anything you want, actually, eels, and plenty of ducks and geese flying around, and it's just like a little heaven, a lot of forests, and a lot of wild animals used to run around. So people actually enjoyed that, but it was a problem of getting licenses to do that. How difficult? So, well, you know, it was legal to hunt. The government would issue a license as a hunter or the fisherman, but it, it, nobody knew where actually to buy that license. So if, it, if you did, it wasn't easy because everything in that system was based upon who do you know and what can they get out of you in exchange for giving you a license or whatever you wanted to buy or get or grow as a professional. It was all based on the underground kind of exchange, economic, or people call it bartering sometimes. Mm -hmm. It was a method of survival in that beautiful paradise. And now that you've lived in the United States for 33 years, how can you compare the so-called conservation system in place in the old country versus what we have here in the United States. What have you observed? You always told me also growing up that uh, you were, there were propaganda was that capitalism has killed all wildlife, nature, deforestation, it's led to destruction. Is that true? What, the lies that you were fed? So they had no choice but to believe it, and if they questioned it, they would be sent off to some crazy place in the far north.
So it was post-Stalin Soviet Union, but still bad. You're dating yourself, oh no. <laughs> I was lucky enough not to be alive at this moment. My parents were. When he passed away, my mom and dad told me everybody was crying, and I asked them, I mean, when we talked about the first time, were we crying of joy or fear? And she, they told me they, did, they were not sure because hmm. like, well, the world could end. They didn't know anything. They didn't have any information. Everything was controlled by the people who were working for the government. Police, military, secret services, people didn't have any actual activities on their own. If anybody talked against the government or about what the government was doing before, especially when they occupied Ukraine and what was happening in the Soviet Union before World War II, people were very careful whom they talked to because you never know. They can inform the government about your um, not a very loyal opinion. Mm. You can end up uh, being arrested for cross voting, you know, whatever, and punished. And, you know. But when I was growing up, we didn't see much of that horrible verdict uh, of arrests and punishments. I guess it was already done enough. But you said to me growing up that people would snitch on their parents and grandparents well, that's what was in the 50s. That was what was happening uh, after the revolution. And, and in, in Lithuania, where I grew up, I was born and grew up in Lithuania, people were, they actually created that situation when, when somebody was um, actually stripped of a pro- private property and taken away to stripped of a property or away with. You know, they, they brainwashed the young kids and to be able to, to willing to survive, they would go and snitch on their parents and grandparents if, if they were threatened. So, you know, back in, in Russia before World War II, that was happening during collectivization because people were afraid. People were afraid of being arrested and punished and tortured and killed or exiled. All of that. So much like the political environment, which was very uh, strict and harsh and restrictive and paranoid, would you also say that the physical environment was also really bad? Because on top of what you would always tell me anecdotally, that uh, the counter system to what was placed in your ancestral homeland when it was occupied, they said that the alternative, which was a more market-based system, kills more things, does more things. What was the reality? Because I remember I was telling you recently that there are many examples that people found after the Soviet Union collapsed in Russia, which is slightly different from where you are from, although Moscow was the epicenter of all that craziness, that um, sturgeon's uh, caviar was tainted because the water was so polluted and uninhabitable that sturgeon would get sick and and their eggs would be bad. And there's that famous lake, Lake Karchai, that was once deemed... Lake Kerch. Lake Kerch. They say Karchai. I don't know why New York Times says that. But Kerch, they said that that lake was the most polluted place in the world. Uh, there was also Chernobyl in 1986, which was uh, after you and mom had left. 
but they also had documented that uh, 230-something cities of 290, 291 cities in Russia itself were very polluted. So can you speak to that? I know Lithuania was similarly tainted, although Russia obviously had the most, but were there similar instances of pollution, destruction, environmental destruction by central planning? cities. One of them was a city which had like a cement plant next by and another one was probably a hundred miles away or so which was which had a fertilizing plant and it was horrible because as soon as we stepped out to the van they brought us in the, to, the, to, one, to one of the cities I guess a fertilizing plant city and we they felt like at least I felt that the metallic taste in my mouth. So that was a indication of that the chemicals they didn't have any no they actually didn't have about cleaning in the air or cleaning anything at all. Because it belongs to everybody, but when it belongs to everybody, it belongs to nobody. <laughs> so we talked to people, to a few guys who were in charge of a few different construction companies and, and Because you're a general contractor by trade. Well yes. I was a civil I am a civil engineer by yes. Fine. I mean, kind of. 
Yeah, so now we have to go to cash issues and it's not like petroleum, okay, it's still amazing. <coughs> and, you know, you, and lakes are pretty nice if they're away from productive farms. So, you know, it was not bad, but uh, you could tell it's not good because, you know, anywhere you go around the big industrial facilities or the little of your headland, uh, you could see that whole nature is kind of turning dark. Literally, the green trees would become dead trees, and the quality of air wasn't good. We had an electric power station which was powered by water in the city, so you could see that tall chimneys, and you could see that plumes of ugly stuff coming up. And it, you know, I didn't have any clean devices or filters, and nobody cared. Just, you know, it belongs to everyone. People were lucky we had a, an apartment, per se. Yeah. No, and compare that to your experience here in the United States. You've lived here for over half your life, close to half your life now. More than half your life now. And and compare because we hear, and I'll ask you this in a little bit, but we hear people saying that we need to employ socialist environmental policies to get cleaner energy, to be environmentally friendly, to promote conservation. So tie in your experiences here, and and can you refute that? Mm-hmm. It's going to help anybody because when, when facilities and businesses belong to private people, because of motivation is not just money, motivation is preserve your business to keep it coming and going. So nobody who is in the right mind wants to kill environment around them to be able to produce something. It used to be, I remember we used to live in California. I used to, used to go to late for work, so I used to see a dark kind of a clouds, and I thought it's because of the petroleum refineries, and apparently it's not, it's because of the natural condition of the desert, then the air moves, and it, uh, definitely it was some kind of probably effect on petroleum along four or five freeway from these refineries, but it wasn't so bad, I didn't see any dead people on the streets. Uh, but um, uh, going back, uh, to my childhood and being grown up and working for the Construction Design Technology Institute, uh, people actually talked about uh, lack of uh, and shortage of these uh, employees. We are saying that some new ones are going on the news in our lives because the water was bad and air and, and nobody knew what to do. What do you do? You can't go anywhere. You can't move much. So you, you do what you do. But uh, comparing to the United States, I mean, if somebody wants to go fishing or hunting, you have to just buy a license. If you want to go hunting, you have to complete that minimum uh, educational course on computer, or you can go and talk to someone in some facilities and they... In class, yeah, in class. class and, and here you are. Back there, you can go anywhere you want, and you can get anything, because... How do you, nobody was interested actually in you hunting or fishing. Uh, for example, when I started my first job after I graduated from school in 1978, I had some, and I worked in a little city 30 miles away from the capital where I was born, grew up, and lived at the time. Uh, I had some workers who worked for, under me. 
I was the construction superintendent and they were giving me and they were poachers. <laughs> the reason I know they were poachers because some of them became kind of close to me as my hmm. And they were asking me to cover up for them. So I hope you there. didn't uh, oblige them. <laughs> yeah, so one guy asked me if I could, uh, if somebody asks, if, if I could tell that the police actually. Uh, so he was at work and did. And I said, what's going on? He said, well, I'm hunting there and I have a license and I cannot get one and it's a you know, government territory. So, so I said, okay. <laughs> you, know, you, you don't want to make enemies with people who work for you because it was hard to work for them anyway because they were drinking and stealing and, you know, it's a whole different Pandora box. <laughs> we want to open it now. But it was interesting how, how different people are in this country, on average, and how strange people are back where I grew up. And, um, you know, it's, I don't know how bad it is somewhere else, but uh, in California, we used to live in one of these gated communities, and we used to have these uh, coyotes running around and deer. And mountain lions, and too. Mountain lions. And here in Virginia, we live close by. George Washington State, and I think a year and a half or two years ago, in one of our winters, we had probably about 15 or 17 deer sitting in our lawn in the backyard and eating grass. And we have foxes constantly here, and I, we, we have actually raccoons, and we have tremendous amount of squirrels, and we even had a woodchuck once, one year. So I wouldn't say it's all destroyed in kids. Of course, we have to preserve it. Nobody is there to go. Somebody goes hunting. I don't think I'm going to go and kill somebody just because I want to kill. There are rules. Uh, uh, and it's not an anecdotal story, but it's a real story. My <laughs> actually used to be a chief of police on the, of the little beautiful peninsula called Nerega, Lithuania. And so once it was 1980, and it was end of October. I went to meet him first time and he invited me to go hunting with him. So, and that whole peninsula called Nerehinga actually is a national park. He can hunt there. But being the chief of police of a local area, he could do anything he wanted. So I decided it's curious to go and see how we hunt. I never hunted before. So I went hunting and had one of a couple people with him. One of, us, of them was a guy. Um, who worked for him and another guy was his son. So four of us went hunting one in a, I think it was some kind of a, like a car looked like, like Jeep. They call them differently there, but it was the same Jeep that we have in this country because it was really big uh, building a plant in Russia before World War II. And we were trailing around that uh, national park and they found the moose. And I think it was a female moose, so they killed it and they, they harvested the hog. We had plenty of hogs around the peninsula and a few rabbits. So we actually made some, some sausage out of that moose meat and mixed it with pork and spices. And I think it was about 250 pieces. It was many years ago, but I remember mm -hmm. it was exciting. And I got that uh, moose's pelts to take home. It was very hairy. So we, we cooked that, uh, we cooked the rabbits, we, we, we enjoyed that wild hog, it was unbelievable. So, 
that's how it works in that uh, paradise of peoples uh, when everybody is equal and everything for justice. Just some people are a little bit more equal than others. Like in Animal Farm, some animals are more equal than others. (laughs) You lived under Animal Farm. (laughs) You know, people, we had some interesting places around there. Going back of that summers uh, around the riverbank, we 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 leave that place. My parents used to rent for summer. Uh, it was not far away from the government officials of Lithuania. It was like a territory, beautiful place, on close by that riverbank, and they had a big, beautiful, quite a few big, big, big beautiful buildings up there. But it was surrounded by wall of chain, chain link fence. So we used to. Because it, nobody was going anywhere, we used to go, we found a hole in the chain fence, we used to go raspberry picking. It was great to have tremendous amount of raspberries. And, and these people who used to watch that thing, they didn't see us, but they, they, if they would have, they would have kicked us out. So that's how it works. We, we had everything. We had special hospitals, cars, uh, markets, anything you want. But the rest of the people, majority of people had nothing. No access to anything, minimum. And it seems like they want to bring that system here. Without going too much into politics, we can talk about um, the Green New Deal, which is a, a very interesting proposal, plus also certain politicians saying that we have to hike the price of meat to dis- distra- or to deter people from eating it. Uh, and since you work in construction... You've told me all the time, and I've done research, that 80, if this proposed plan, and we don't have to go political, but it can be implied which political party support is pushing this, but I think uh, experts have noted that 88% of the traditional economy, which comes from coal, natural gas, uh, LNG, and other natural resources, which are refined in a more clean fashion these days, would be completely gone. They want to become 100% renewable, which it seems farcical and impractical. And have you having worked in construction, actually one of the tenants, which have been altered and erased and deleted and then re-altered and whatnot, uh, they plan to replace every building. We don't know how they pl- plan to replace every building if this plan were to go in effect. So how would that affect your business? Well, I guess I'll be able to drag my material on my back because I won't be able to have a truck. <laughs> But it doesn't actually do anything to help the environment. And, I mean, since you're a business owner yourself, you would be affected firsthand, although you always tell, not that you want to exit 
uh, construction industry to go do what you like to do, fishing, et cetera, because you're forced out of the industry. You want to do that because you want to retire on your own terms. You don't want to be forced out of your industry and millions of other people. And even those who enjoy fishing and hunting, because wouldn't boats, boating be gone as a hobby because that's powered by fuel and gas as well. A lot of the uh, motorized vehicles would be gone. There'd be no air travel. How would people who want to go fishing and hunting abroad go travel by boat? It's going to take forever if you're outside of the continental U.S. to do that. It's going to be more costly and, and people won't be able to enjoy their activities. It's not just your industry, but it's going to be industries that people enjoy. I just, I just think uh, I see all of the people around us using cell phones and computers. I don't think we'll have to give it up too because just talking and, and, and blowing hot air out of our mouths, it's not going to put power uh, actually, the whole idea of having a new Green Deal in this country just to kill it. It's a continuation of Karl Marx's dream. America is a problem. And you also FDR's plan, the second Bill of Rights, you can, yeah. You can find some audios of Mr. Soros saying the same thing, that America is a problem because they want a uh, world government. And the United States, uh, for 200 years, stands in the way of it. That's a goal. They don't propose that for Russia. To the friends in, in, in Russia and, and, and friends in China or India. Who pollute more than we do. They, they have no actual regulation in these countries. They just want to kill this country because the idea is this country, everything that we have in this country was acquired by cheating, stealing, and killing. And this is a typical Marxist idea because what you do, you try to juice up people who have no idea what's going on and how things made and sold and made and bought and provided, uh, they actually create that some kind of a jealousy. And instead of telling young people they have to go out there in the world and learn a good profession, whatever you want to do, and create skills and be in demand and make some money, not right away, after a while, because nobody is born and you cannot learn everything right away, learn the trades you want to be in, and succeed eventually. But they, we created uh, actually quite a few generations in this country, and actually it's around the world too. I want everything yesterday, because apparently somebody has something, doesn't deserve it, because as uh, Elizabeth Warren said, well, you know, this billionaire didn't get it right. <laughs> it sounds like all this uh, science and, and, and propaganda in 1917-18 in Russia. So I'm not surprised. You lived through that. You had those people I had in charge of your homeland. Yeah, it's, it's literally crazy. Nobody should buy it. Especially uh, with respect to the environment, with this crazy yeah, plan. The environment, believe me, environment is not. It's, it's beautiful here. I mean, we we have to have basic laws in place, and nobody's arguing or contesting that. But uh, a lot of people, us included see that any too high of regulation, I mean, look what happened under the last administration where that Gold King mine completely was polluted. Three million gallons of water were tainted, and that was under a very so-called pro-environmentally friendly administration. And certain environmental agencies can equally pollute and equally damage the environment too. There's no obsolete thing. And, And sometimes private companies are to blame, but they also help with cleanup um, and think efforts of that sort. They they want to work to ensure that the environment can exist. They don't want to see the environment destroyed. As I said before, if you're a farmer, you don't want to destroy the land you, you live on. It's the same thing with uh, people who make things. You, know, you, you can take a look on that Florida business, that whole you know, algae. Yeah. And, and I guess that 
adult, I guess we would corrupt. Giving subsidies to the but sugar I, industry, yeah. I, I don't think we should give subsidies to it. No. Not solar, not wind, not any of those. If you want to be in business, go and do it on your own. I mean, farmers are fine before FDR destroyed the economy and national like banks and, and actually start controlling pricing. And that's how subsidies came up. Look on this uh, Stalinist buildings in Washington. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that was your first observation when I showed you. next thing I want to discuss is firearms. So you've told me over the years, and I've read historical accounts to back up every story you have just to make sure you're correct. And you've been accurate, I would say 98% of the time <laughs> with all your observations and what you told me, but I needed to, to fact check to ensure that um, the critics were not uh, correct whatsoever. But in places like the Soviet Union, you always told me that the, one of the first things they did when they took over countries like that was take away people's guns and private firearms. And together, you and I, a few years ago, got our concealed handgun permits together here in Virginia. And then you bought me my first handgun on my 25th birthday about three years ago. So talk a little bit about uh, firearms policy in a centrally planned country like Lithuania. And then why do you believe gun rights can ensure freedom? school, um, so we would teach one high school, at least in the city I was, most of them had some shooting ranges, so we had a course of uh, civil defense, as we called it, and um, and they would teach us how to shoot guns, actually our gun was April 7. So that was the last time you had held a gun, yeah, operated it wasn't in up until, 1970, so you went 40 years without touching firearms. Yeah, but it didn't change my ability to shoot <laughs> <laughs> in any case, uh, that's what the whole idea was. When they took over in 1917, and in 1918 they actually consolidated the takeover, they released all criminals, hired them to help them, and gave them guns. And then when the Soviets to officially took over Lithuania in 1939, did they do the similar thing? They did the same thing, because people Lithuania was a free, uh, as we call it, capitalist country, so people used to go hunting and fishing and everything else, and they took away everything. They actually confiscated private properties, the markets, uh, general stores, businesses, and sent people into exile, five, six thousand miles away to Far East or up north, and just destroyed everything. And, and, and people still could get guns on black market, I guess, like anywhere, but you couldn't go and buy it in the store. We had no store to buy guns. Plus, there was no Second Amendment in the Soviet Constitution. Well, we didn't have a First Amendment. No. If you have no First Amendment, you have no Second Amendment. Exactly. Yeah, the whole idea was to keep your mouth shut, otherwise you can get into it. They can slap you in the face and, you know, and then just... Nobody wanted to take it on because you couldn't take on the machine. So there is nothing to compare about that. The United States is a different country. And I like when people like former President Barack Obama II said that America is as special as any other countries. 
Actually, it's not, because in the United States, very different with the United States of America and other countries around the world today. If you read the Constitution, all our rights are given by God. In other countries, all of people's rights are given by God. <laughs> so that's a difference. And, and then we're unique compared to most countries because we have a Second Amendment. But we don't appreciate that on a large scale because we have a representative republic instead of a crazy mob which can go around and you know, create coalitions and elect some people who don't belong in them anymore. And we have a representative republic and we should be controlling and electing people who do represent us, not crooks. Not liars, not cheaters. And not people who want to take away your guns. And yeah, especially people who, who like Gillibrand in New York, she said, well, she was pro-gun, and I was supporting her, and as soon as she became uh, an image of Hillary Clinton, kind of, she suddenly dropped everything. So that's what we do. We lie and cheat. We shouldn't let people... But are you, do you think they're serious about taking away guns? Because absolutely, a lot of people... Absolutely. Because everyone in the media says, well, the NRA is hyping this up, NRA members... But they fail to. Join an NRA willingly. Yeah, nobody held a gun to our head (laughs) to join. If you want to discontinue your membership, you can do that. And I don't think we have any influence at all. Uh, I guess today, after eight years of previous administration, membership in NRA, I thought it was going to be 40 million instead of six and a half. Because that whole thing was disclosed and masks were off and. And they opened it and saying, that's what we're going to do. Well, and now we have a House of Representatives that has expressively said that they want to put in universal background checks, which don't give due process rights and everything. So they're very serious if they get back into power, this, other, this particular party, that we, they will we, take away guns. We, nobody can buy a gun legally if, a, if you have an actual criminal record. They don't sell your gun. They shouldn't. When I went to buy my gun after I bought one for Gabriela, Smith and Wesson M&P Shield for those of you listening by the way yes uh, it took almost an hour to clear my record because on the FBI background check in the NICS system some kind of criminal anything that uh, very bright young man on the end of the phone FBI didn't know where Lithuania I guess Lithuania Transylvania and other areas are the same thing to them if people in the FBI don't know basic stuff, we're in big trouble. And you can see when you listen to McCabe giving interviews to 60 Minutes. I'm not surprised. Well, not only that, but just this recent tragic shooting in Illinois, this guy, the perpetrator of the crime, was glossed over. He had previous records. He shouldn't have had access to a gun and had someone noted this in the NIC system this tragedy could have been prevented a lot like uh, the the Sutherland Springs shooting that happened in Texas where the guy was an Air Force guy and the Air Force failed to relate to the FBI that he had problems. Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, very much so. Nobody sells you anything. Even in a gun show, they have some, they quickly call and, and, and verify. And I don't think if they, they check who you are, if you don't have a criminal record or not. And the guy in Illinois actually was 
has six arrests and running in the uh, police office. And he should have a gun. They demanded him to return his gun. They revoked his concealed carry, but he never even got to that point. So there is, there is no comparison between people who legally acquire gun and law-abiding citizens and criminals. And, and that party of Kukulus uh, Klan is trying to tell us that we're all the same. No, we're not. So why do you think that they rush to blame law-abiding gun owners for the crimes of those who abuse guns? Well, because it's the easiest way to go. We, we reason we have a, so, some kind of freedom in this country, not as many freedoms as we used to, because we have about 300 or so million guns in this country. So when we have so many guns and gun ownership in this country, they cannot take us off. It's not like I'm threatening, threatening anyone, I'm not, but that's why they are afraid of us. Because we, we tried to buy ammunition. I remember when different government departments were buying millions and millions of rounds of ammunition, and I was wondering why for a second. I knew why, because we want to create shortage. So we can buy it. So this is That's pretty sinister, happen. but that did actually happen, and I remember. I think some of this looking up for the work of Lenin and other evil socialists in the last century, because we have everything in the books laid out, what to do and what not to, and how to get us. Yeah, that is really true. Um, and you, you try to instill the fear of of the truth in me, and and that's a good thing. And and I think I hope people can deduce from our interaction here in this interview that that this is why I am the way I am politically with my interest in the outdoors. It, it should make sense as to why kids normally tend to follow in the footsteps of their parents if they listen to them, and you have a good good relationship like you and I do uh, with outdoor stuff. Parents are not close to the kids. You always made sure to at least take us somewhere. If you, if you become a parent, it's your first responsibility to teach your children to be decent human beings. And you have to pass on what you know. But because people in this country trust police, uh, nurses, fire, firefighters, that's great. First of all, and teachers, trust yourself. Don't, let, don't cut the leash loose. And you would, <laughs> and would you say that uh, fishing and hunting are good activities to keep kids focused? That's how you kept me, not on the leash, but you kept my attention uh, when I was eight, and more seriously when I was twelve, because that was our way of bonding back in California. And we even do it t- to this day. We still go fishing, and, and I'm going to get you roped into hunting as well. Do you think those two activities, especially, can help it's get kids? Part of it. it should be not just that. It could be camping. It should be fishing. It, you have to actually involved young kids into that whole nature life. It's a great stuff. You mm-hmm. can learn a lot of stuff. It's going to be patience, respect, and appreciation of environment around you. If you don't, if you sit at home with that phone or computer, you learn nothing, actually. Your mental capacity diminishes. It's not healthy. Besides being close with your kids and passing on your traditional values to them. Yeah, and we, we recently, we always love to talk about this whenever we're uh, together and we're somewhere in public, maybe an outdoor show or something of that nature. And we always talk about the recent camp at Aaron's Raise Them Outdoors camp in Virginia Beach, where we helped kids of Navy SEALs either learn how to fish or to polish their fishing craft. What did you like about that experience? That was a blast. Most of the kids were very polite and interested. Some of them were very strange. <laughs> Talking about you, it's, it's killing fish. Otherwise, everything was great. People who 
uh, actually a risk for lice for us were great, were, were super great. And most kids were fine, but we're small kids. What do you expect them to do? Most of them were really hooked into it, literally. And we caught over 20 pounds of fish and we fried it, we ate it. Everybody loved it. Kids were really happy. And we had one little girl. We still talk about her to this day. Liliana, I think was her name, who was so eager to help you scale the fish. It was so cute. We're going to go probably in the fall or after Aaron gives birth to her second baby in April. Yes, we're here. And I'm, and I'm going to be more involved in her group. I think she wants me to help her on her board. Um, and it's not such a big commitment, but it's a good cause. And, and the kids were just so excited um, when it comes to that activity. Uh, and then hunting. I think that's one thing we're going to try to finish off of. Do you think that... Do you think that living in California, I mean, because I, I don't ever remember any of our friends or people you interacted with much who talked about hunting. California actually just announced that they want to recruit more hunters after decades of alienating them. What was, do you remember anyone back in California who hunted? Yeah, it's all desert. So nobody was talking about that. You know, they probably come, you know, Sierra Nevada area, border with Oregon. They do. But, you know, it's not the look at California today. What do you want them to do? There's nothing going on out there good for people. So, you know, hunting is great. It's a good, uh, it, it doesn't mean you have to go and kill everything right away or if you don't harvest anymore, it's fine too. You gain experience, you see nature, and if you get lucky to harvest one, that's good too. Meat, meat is tasty. You can use, do something with pelt, you can have some taxidermy, whatever you like to do. It's great. And do you think uh, hunting is harder to get kids in than fishing? Would you say, I mean, you you yet, you yet haven't gone in a hunting trip in a few decades. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, I think, it's, 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 but do you think it's harder because it's, kids, people have not, less patience or is it more expensive? Yeah, there is a perception, uh, people fear guns. Mm-hmm. Nobody, most people who criticize guns are the shit gun, 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 this, they never held a gun, they never shoot a gun. Right. They, they don't know anything about that. They have safety features on their guns, nobody walks around the room with a gun and poison. If they do, they're morons, and they're small in numbers, yeah. So it's probably a little bit more expensive to get kids into the hunting because you have to be a hunter yourself, I guess, to be able to have that, you know, guns and, and, you know, certain clothing and stuff. And usually when parents are like that, I think kids just naturally grow into that because what do you do? I mean, your dad is a hunter, and especially if your mom and dad will hunt, you have no place to go. You're going to be stuck doing it. <laughs> and I would say that Virginia, oddly enough, has a lot more hunting opportunities. We have elk in this state, which I think we're both going to go check out in a few weeks' time. And we have bears. Remember? Remember? We, of course, we can't hunt elk. Yeah, they're still small in numbers. But we saw a yearling bear cub. How cool is that? Yeah, you know, you don't see it in California. You see a mountain lion in the golf course. Yeah. But you cannot see a bear. They actually, where are some bears in our but, you know, it's 
send direct state of Jimmy, you you get a bet the whole world you have. You have to pretty much around you around fishing yeah. and hunting and everything is close by. If you want to go somewhere else to hunt and fish, it's uh, three, four, five hours away, six hours max. Yeah. So there's nothing better than that. Yeah, we're in a pretty good location where hunting and fishing got its start also in the United States too, because when they founded this area, that's what people were doing to survive, which is really cool that you have that tradition. So do you have any parting thoughts for people listening to the podcast and uh, what, you, what you hope people will do in terms of the outdoors, protecting the heritage? Any goals for you? When do you want to start hunting? <laughs> well, well, the thing is, what I want, I would love people to do is to realize Don't forget, if you're not going to vote the right way, <laughs> you're going to lose your guns. But uh, the best thing in the world is, is to go outdoors. Hunt, fish and hunt. Uh, you can find people who would love to help you. There are plenty of people, especially in this state, who would invite you and help you out. Well, if people listening are in our immediate area and they're patient and want to go with us, yeah. we can take them too. Yeah, we can take some people fishing. Yeah. We cannot take anyone. No, because we're new to that ourselves. Yeah, but otherwise, yeah, if I need any advice or anything, you can help. And then would you also want people to know about your business and if they're listening locally to hire you for construction I services? I, I, I never <laughs> offer any business cards or anything when I meet total strangers, even if that uh, Home Depot allows if somebody needs some advice, it's free. Sure. But well, you like to talk a lot to people. No, Sometimes. It's, it's nothing wrong with that. It's better talk than fight. Sure. Uh, well, I happen to be a, a fairly good uh, master craftsman in construction. I do yes, don't be shy. Additions, <laughs> uh, because of my educational background and curiosity all my life, I'm a pretty good architect. I do architectural plans and structural design. And basically, I have a very good understanding of construction. So I do residential remodeling, sometimes small commercial ones. But most residentials, if anybody wants to get any device, if you live about 25, 30 miles radius from Alexandria, um, you're welcome to contact me. So specifically Virginia, Maryland, you don't do Maryland? I do Maryland. And a little bit of D.C.? in Maryland. I, I sometimes go to D.C. If it's a small project? Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. Okay. And it's at balticconstruction.net? That's where people can find your portfolios? Absolutely. You can look me up and see what they can do and what they can't. <laughs> that's the only social media presence you have and both my sister and I manage that for you but but you can connect with him for business services on balticconstruction.net and check out his awesome portfolio yeah there is my email there you can fill out the contact form and ask tell me what you want and give you information I'll get back to you as soon as I can that's really cool dad I thank you so much for coming on District of Conservation how did you what did you think? Was this easier than, than what, I, what you were led to believe it would be? It's, it's really easy. You know? <laughs> You're not a tech-savvy guy, but I made you savvy, do a podcast. I'm savvy enough to talk to you. Uh-huh. So I've been on NRA radio shows. Yeah. On KFI shows in California. And other shows. So I'm not a stranger to that. And it's not, it's not difficult. It's pretty easy. If you're not lying about anything, there's nothing to fear. Sure. Well, thank you for telling your story and 
and talking about some important issues, especially those related to the environment, hunting and fishing. And hopefully we can do some more, maybe in the future, do some more exposés. I think people should hear your story more so in the Soviet Union. <laughs> Maybe we'll get you around the country to talk about <laughs> fleeing socialism. <laughs> All right, Dad. Thank you. I really appreciate it. They say the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, and I believe I am a prime example of that now that you guys have listened to my father, if this was your first time hearing him, especially... Uh, I got everything and learned everything that I know with respect to the outdoors from him. And I'm going to teach him a little something about hunting and a little more so with guns this year, too. But my dad has a very interesting perspective on the great outdoors having come from a centrally planned society where it was really scarce, the opportunities, and they weren't really that pristine like they were here in the United States. So I think his perspective is something people are going to want to hear more. And I hope I delivered a, a slither of that for you all today. Review it, leave a review, comment, follow us on social media at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Please download the episode on iTunes.com. The more downloads we have, the greater reach we have, the more we can go high atop the charts in the outdoor category and be heard by more people. I think this his message is really important, especially with all this talk about socialism in this country. And, and I believe without going so deep into politics, my dad did a good job of explaining what happens when you have a more socialist versus market-based system in charge of the economy and other aspects of society. So I think that was really worthwhile to hear. So if you like this, please share the good word, download us, never miss an episode, and get, send us some story ideas and interview ideas. I would love to hear your suggestions there. I think it's important to get as many people as possible on the podcast that I think are in line with the message and the goals of this podcast. So thank you guys for listening, and let me know what you think of this episode with my dad. Have a good week, everyone.